0: Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. We give thanks to God our Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Although we were formerly alienated from God and hostile in mind, engaging in evil deeds, Christ has now reconciled us in his fleshly body through death in order to present us before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. beginning in verse 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came, therefore, a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude, therefore, who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The multitude, therefore, answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. We'll turn now to 2 Chronicles chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the band of men who came with the Arabs to the camp had slain all the older uh, sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. And he did evil in the sight of Yahweh like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He also walked according to the counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel to wage war against Hezael, king of Aram, at Ramoth Gilead. But the Arameans wounded Joram. So he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which they had inflicted on him at Ramah, when he fought against Hezael, king of Aram. And Ahaziah the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to Jehoram to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. Now the destruction of Ahaziah was from God, in that he went to Joram, for when he came, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom Yahweh had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it came about when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers, ministering to Ahaziah and slew them. He also sought Ahaziah, and they caught him while he was hiding in Samaria. They brought him to Jehu, put him to death, and buried him. For they said, He is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought Yahweh with all his heart. So there was no one of the house of Ahaziah to retain the power of the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring of the house of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, the king's daughter, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So Jehoshabeath, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she would not put him to death. And he was hidden with them in the house of God six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and took captains of hundreds, Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Johanan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Maaseah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri, and they entered into covenant with him. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of the fathers' households of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God, and Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as Yahweh has spoken concerning the sons of David. This is the thing which you shall do, One-third of you, of the priests and Levites, who come in on the Sabbath, shall be gatekeepers. And one-third shall be at the king's house, and a third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of Yahweh. But let no one enter the house of Yahweh except the priests and the ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy. And let all the people keep the charge of Yahweh. And the Levites will surround the king, each man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever enters the house, let him be killed. Thus be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and each one of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath, for Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss any of the divisions. Then Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and the large and small shields, which had been King David's, which were in the house of God. And he stationed all the people, each man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the house to the left side of the house, by the altar and by the house, around the king. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehida and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came into the house of Yahweh to the people. And she looked, and behold, the king was standing by the pillar at the entrance and the captains and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets, the singers with their musical instruments leading the praise. Then Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason, treason. And Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were appointed over the army and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and whoever follows her put to death uh, put to death with the sword. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of Yahweh. So they seized her, and when she arrived at the entrance of the the horse gate of the king's house. They put her to death there. If you would now turn to the back of your bulletin, we'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 30. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall not be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we now draw near to you in your house by your bidding with boldness to hear from you. Please speak to us and build us up and make us Christ-like. Make us live up to the name given to us, the name Christian. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we drove Monday to Colorado up to a high peak, 1,000 excuse me, 11,584 feet up in the air, off the sea, and we stayed in a house there. And uh, we went by invitation of Hyde and Jessica. They've invited us before. And it's always a treat to go with them. Uh, When we went before, there weren't so many of them, so we all fit in a van. This time there are more of them, so we didn't fit in a van, and so we took our car, and one grandson got to ride with us, and that was Cannon. Now, if you know Cannon, he doesn't say a lot, and he didn't say a lot, except when we were about. 11,000 feet in the air, there was a double rainbow, bright, says my wife, the color was extraordinary, and it stayed there for a long time, and Cannon commented on it more than once he was impressed. Of course, the rainbow is the sign of the Noahic Covenant. It's a sign of a covenant that God made for himself. And when we look at it, we know that God is looking at it because that's what he said he would do. He will look and he will remember that he will never destroy the whole earth by water again. God is faithful to his covenant. And if you get nothing else out of what I have to say today, this is the word. God is faithful to his covenant. We reside under the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. And God is faithful to his covenant. He says... This is my body, broken for you. Do this as my memorial. This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this as my memorial. Like the Noahic covenant, there's a sign. It's called the Lord's Supper. And when we sit down and eat in peace, With Yahweh, God, he remembers us. And he fulfills all that his covenant promises. Do this as my memorial. Of course we remember him, just like when we look at the rainbow. We remember God, But the rainbow is there as a sign for God. The Lord's Supper is there as a sign for Jesus. Do this as my memorial. Of course we remember. For as often as we eat and we drink, we preach the Lord's death until he comes. Turn, if you would, to 2 Chronicles, chapter 23. These stories are so extraordinary, so full of, uh, of, of hints of something you can't quite see, makes you ponder them more. But as we work our way through, and of course, it's not possible to give everything that's there, even if I could understand everything that's there. But as we've been working our way through Chronicles, we realize that the Davidic covenant is made in place of Saul, who did not seek God, but he turned to mediums, and he took their counsel, and so God destroyed him. And so... The rest of Chronicles, starting in chapter 11, all the way to the end, the word seek is found over and over and over again. The word counsel is found over and over and over again. And it's all there because the people have returned. And this book is written so they will not fail as their predecessors failed. But instead, they will give their whole heart, a solemn heart, a seeking heart to Yahweh. Instead, they will trust the covenant that God has made, a covenant that is the covenant of David, whereby David is promised an eternal kingdom with a throne that lasts forever, with sons sitting on the throne forever, a kingdom that will never end. Nevertheless, it comes with a caveat in this covenant. If The sons of David, the sons of God, because that is what they are called. If the sons of God step aside, sin, go astray, then God will bring out his rod with people and he will correct them and bring them back. That's what you see in Chronicles. Of course, that's what happens to us today. Because we're children of the Father, and like a good father, Hebrews chapter 12, every son that has no discipline is not a son, he's a bastard. Because a father who loves his son has the gumption and the gall and the fortitude and the wherewithal to correct his son. if your son comes from a woman you care nothing about, well, then you're likely not to care much about your son. So there's a string, and it begins dawning on me. It didn't dawn on me until a couple days ago, starting with Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joram, and today Ahaziah. And Asa... And Jehoshaphat become the models. They're like David. They sought the Lord. Nevertheless, they are men. They have little failures, maybe even big failures. And so Asa made an alliance with a country he wasn't supposed to make an alliance with. And God set a prophet to correct him and say, because you've done this, this is what I'm going to do. And he gave him a wound in his feet. The next story is about Jehoshaphat, who was supposed to learn a lesson. Don't walk this way. A wound in the feet. Jehoshaphat was a pretty good king. Except he made an alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel. Who had, as a wife, Jezebel. Who led the nation into Baal worship who sacrificed their children, according to Jeremiah, to Baal. He sought the Lord with all of his heart, but he had his problems. And in the end, he wanted that alliance to build ships and go retrieve gold. And his ships were wrecked on the sea. Now, the sea in the Bible often stands for Gentiles, and that's who he was making an alliance with. And ships are just the earth floating out on the sea. It's made of things on the earth. And so Jehoshaphat is supposed to be tooling around on the sea in his ship, taking rulership, overlord, like Genesis tells us. But instead, the sea destroyed him which was supposed to be a lesson for his son Jehoram. But his son Jehoram was wicked. And he had a wife that his father retrieved for him to make an alliance. And the wife's name was Athaliah. And she was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And so when Jehoram, whose name means Yahweh is exalted, came to power, well, he was wicked. And so his father gave him the kingship because he was the oldest son. He gave his brothers. Gold and silver and precious goods and fortified cities. And when he secured his rule, he put his brothers to death. And he led the people into fornication, harlotry. After all, his wife was Athaliah, a Baal worshiper. And so he got a letter from Elijah. Because you've led the people into harlotry and because you killed your brothers who were better than you, God is going to come and take your sons and your people and your possessions and your wives. And so God did. All in all, he was surrounded on the north, south, west, and east. People whom David once ruled were now hostile to him, and he hadn't the power to rule. And so the Philistines and the Arabs came, and they surrounded him. And they stole his wives, his sons, blah, blah, blah. And he was told, and you're... We've talked about this. You're going to get a sickness, a disease. Your bowels are going to come out. And so for two years he was very sick. And in the end his bowels came out and he died. And they buried him. But nobody was sorry to see him go. Well, bowels in the Bible is a little more general than what we may think of it. It means your innards. And so sometimes it's used for the womb. Sometimes it's used for the Thomas Crapper place. And that's the point. What God did was he took his sons and they were dung. There was only one son left. His name was Jehosiah or Ahaziah, which means God grabs a hold. All the others died, but one was grabbed a hold of. God took hold of him and gave him opportunity. In chapter 12, is a, I mean, chapter 22 and 23 are about Azaziah. God takes hold. And in chapter 22, he comes to power. He's the only son that's left. And his mother is his counselor. And he walked in the ways of Ahab. And the ways of Ahab became his counselors. And they counseled him to make an alliance with the Syrians. And he went up with Ahab's son Jehoram. These names get all mixed up. And Jehoram was wounded in the battle. And Jehoram went to Jezreel to be healed. And Ahaziah, he's related to Jehoram, went to see him because of his sickness. And all that was going on was of the Lord because the Lord had already anointed Jehu to destroy Ahab's house as God had foretold by a prophet. And when he went to destroy that house, he found Ahaziah there as well. And so he slew Ahaziah. Why? Why? because Ahaziah was a Baal worshiper. So if you look back in chapter 22, and you look in verse 10, it says, Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, She rose and destroyed all the royal offspring of the house of Judah. Here's a woman who kills her own grandchildren. But after all, in Baal worship, you sacrifice your kids. Ahaziah was... If you read the King James, it says 42 years old. That couldn't be because his father died when he was 40. So it, it has to be, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a textual problem. And most people figure 22. So he's 22 when he comes to power. And he only reigns one year. And he's evil. So he has some sons. It can't be that many sons at 22. But you got to remember, back then, people married a lot younger. So he's obviously married younger. And uh, these children then are slain by Athaliah. Look at verse 11. But Jehoshabieth, the king's daughter, now this is talking about Joram, Hazaziah is Joram's daughter, Jehoshaphat is Joram's daughter, he probably had two wives or more, uh, the king's daughter took Joash, the son of Azaziah, and uh, and stole him from among the king's son who were being put to death and placed him and his uh, nurse in the bed, in the bedroom, so Jehosubeth, the daughter of King Joram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Hazaziah, hid him for, for, from Athaliah, so that she would not put him to death. So here he is hidden away for six years and he's a little infant with his nurse hidden somewhere in the house of the Lord by a woman whose name means Yahweh swears. Yahweh takes an oath. Well, Yahweh has an oath in the covenant that he made with David. We won't take time, but three times it's mentioned in Psalm 89 that Yahweh swore your son will sit on the throne forever. Athaliah is trying to destroy all the seed royal. If all the seed is destroyed, there is no Davidic covenant. And so this wife of Jehoiada, which means Yahweh knows. Yahweh sees. He knows. He's orchestrating. There's only one son of Joram left. All the royal seed is destroyed. And she knows. Yahweh has made an oath. That's her name. And so she takes the boy and she hides him away and Jehoiada, the priest, the high priest. Now remember, this, this, uh, this kid is hidden away, and six years go on where Athaliah is reigning, a Baal worshiper. There's no king on the throne. There's a queen on the throne, and she's made a coup d'etat. She's taken over. So you can tell the whole nation of Judah has been infected with Baalism. And when you read the story, you realize the house of the Lord is run down because in chapter 24 it has to be built back up. Because what's happened in the city is a temple to Baal has been constructed with his altar and everything's moved there to worship. There still is a high priest, but he has no service. The house is in disarray. Nothing's happening, because it's Baal worship, because they've been led into harlotry. Instead of being the wife of Yahweh God, now they're the wife of Baal. But Jehoiada, Yahweh knows. He's strengthened in mind. He sees. He knows. And so what does he do? He goes to set things in order. So he first goes to the captains of hundreds, and the captains of hundreds are sent through the land, and the captains of hundreds gather all the Levites and the rulers of the household, and they bring them to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly, it says in verse 3 of chapter 23, made a covenant with the king in the house of God, And and, uh, Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has promised concerning the sons of David. Yahweh knows. He believes this king is going to reign. And so he establishes a little plan And he's going throughout the land, getting all the Levites. The priests are already there. And he is setting up something that Athaliah cares nothing about. That is the house of the Lord. And here, the high priest and his wife have been living in some of the, uh, what we'd call them the aside buildings. And in this little aside building is hidden this little boy, Joash, whose name means Yahweh is fire or Yahweh is strong. It's hard to tell which. Our God is a consuming fire, is the sense. And he's living there. And now it's the seventh year. And of course, the seventh year is the sabbatical year. Now these people who have been under oppression by Athaliah for six years are now going to be set free. This house that has been non-functional for six years is now going to be restarted in the seventh year. Jeho- Jehoiada says, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. He makes a plan. And so he, he organizes these men which are partly army men, partly priests, partly Levites. And he comes up with a plan whereby they're going to watch the house of the Lord. They're going to watch the king's house, and they're going to watch the gate of the foundation, which no one's quite sure what it means. But anyway, they're going to oversee everything. But in the house of the Lord, of course, proper, you can't send unholy people. So he says in verse 6, But let no one enter the house of Yahweh except the priests and the ministering Levites. They may enter for they are holy and let all the people keep the charge of Yahweh. Okay, you've had a house in disarray for six years. Nothing's happening. The house is run down. The offerings aren't being presented. Who knows what all's taking place over there. But Jehoiada intends to anoint a king, a Davidic king, and set up the service of the house of the Lord. And so he wants things done correctly. So he appoints Levites over the places, and the priests over the places that no one else can go, And he gets the army folk all around. And and again, we're not quite sure how he organized it all. It doesn't make sense to everyone just exactly what he did. But what I want you to notice is it's important to Jehoiada, Yahweh knows, that things be done correctly. And so they get Levites all the way around the house, all right around the altar, and they get get Levites and army people over at the king's house, and they got army people at the gate of the foundation, and Jehoiada brings out uh, votive offerings of David, his spears, his weapons, his shields, and he hands them out. Telling you, this is a reconstruction of what David accomplished. It's going to be his weapons that are used. And why do they need weapons? Well, for Athaliah, they don't need but one weapon to kill her. But you know, what's been happening in Jerusalem now for the past six years is Baal worship. So you have worshipers of Baal, not, not, not just people who are Jewish, but she's brought in. People who are from other lands, probably, and people who are gung-ho for Baal, and they'll fight. Just like happens in other countries today, over religion. They will fight. It happens in the Bible all of the time. And so Jehoiada is prepared for trouble. Verse 10. And he stations all the people, each man with his weapon, in his hand, from the right side of the house to the left side of the house, by the altar and by the house around the king. Then they brought out the king's son and put the uh, crown on him. And the word crown is the word "nazer," which makes you think of a Nazarite put the crown on the king's head and gave him the testimony and made him king and Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. So, because of time, I'm not going to read it all. But what happens then is the king is brought out of the house and at the entrance to the house, on either side of the house, are these two huge pillars. One pillar is Jochen, a priest, and the other pillar is Boaz, the king. And this little boy at six, seven years old is stood by this pillar that's tall, 25 feet tall, and there he is crowned with a naser on his head, which makes you think of the Nazarite vow. that is, he's holy for the Lord. He is. What would you say? God's Son. Thou art my son. Today I've begotten you. You nations around,, oh, stop your laughing. The Lord's going to laugh at you. I put my king on my holy mountain. He's God's son. And the system is restarted. And what happens in verses 12 through 15 is Athaliah hears it. There's all kinds of people who've all crowded in for this momentous occasion. And she hears the long live the king. And she comes out and sees the boy by the pillar. And she hears the singing and the praising and the commotion. They're all running around. They are just leaping for joy with happiness. Why? Because God is faithful to his covenant. And so Jehoiada says it's not good for her to be put death in in the house of the Lord. So, take her through the ranks, and if anybody follows, then put them to death. That is, if there are any supporters of Athaliah that are stupid enough to follow, just put them to death and So you get the pictures, you have these army troops that are remember the House of the Lord and the House of the Lord and the king 's house are side by side, so they 're out in front of the house of the Lord and they 're coming over to the king 's house and they 're going to go through a gate called the Horse Gate, which is important and This is where the horses come into the king's house. And they have a wall on either side of her pushing her down the traces until they get to the king's house at the horse gate and then they kill her. The horse gate reminds you of Jezebel who was thrown out of a window and trampled by the horses. Athaliah means, well, No one knows for sure. It either means Yahweh is exalted, which would mean Yahweh is shown up for being a great God above all gods for what has happened to Athaliah. Or it means Yahweh afflicts, which of course (laughs) is looking at it the other way. That is, God has, through his servants, killed this imposter, who bears a name that has something to do with God, but she wants nothing to do with Yahweh God. And then comes verse 16 where we read, then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be Yahweh's people. Now the verb to be is the, 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 the name Yahweh is made up of the, of the verb M, be. To be God's people, the verb is to be. They are the I am people. This is a covenant. It's the restoration of, well, maybe the Davidic covenant by itself, but probably not because the whole, the whole system has fallen down and the people are involved in harlotry. They've gone astray. So they're out of covenant. Now they come and in verse 16, covenant is restored. Each time we come to the table, that is exactly what we are doing. The covenant was inaugurated with the body and blood of Christ. And week by week, we inaugurate again. We, we enter into covenant with God week by week where he looks at us and he judges us at the table and we look at him through the elements and we proclaim his death at the table. I don't know how you get along going to church Sunday by Sunday and not renewing covenant. It makes no sense. The Lord's table belongs at the gathering of the church, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't gather to eat the Lord's Supper, and of course the point is you are to gather to eat the Lord's Supper. That is the point of getting together. When you move from sin forgiving to hearing a message from the Lord to, wow, we're at peace with the Lord. We can sit down at the table together. It's like a marriage. A covenant is formed and the covenant is renewed each time there's sexual union. I'm for you. You're for me. That's the whole point. It's interesting in counseling. When you're you're about 25 to 30, you think life's always going to be the same just as it is now. But of course, as you get older, you realize things change, people change, all, all that good stuff. But when you're doing counseling and you got a troubled marriage, say they're 32 years old, we'll just pick a random number, and you have the audacity to ask them, hmm, how often are you intimate? And there's no answer, no. well, you don't want to tell me? Oh, once every three months. You know, there are big problems. They don't renew covenant. Here the covenant is restarted. And all the people say, okay, God's our God, and we're Yahweh's people. And what do Yahweh's people do in Yahweh's house and in Yahweh's city and in Yahweh's territory? They go out and they tear down the God that is in contest with the true and only God. They tear down his temple. They tear down his images. They tear down his altars. They kill his priests. And what do they do? They come back, and they set up worship again, and worship is set up according to the covenant. The king has been given the testimony, which is the covenant, which he's supposed to read, and now the people come back, and according to the law, they set up the covenant, and they bring in the musical instruments and the singers in accordance with what David brought about in the liturgical Davidic revolution where music was added to God's Word. And Jehoiada stationed all the people. He stationed the gatekeepers just as David had put in order. He stationed the people who were to do burnt offering just as David had put in order. And he, in stationing the gatekeepers, notice what it says in verse 19. And he stationed the gatekeepers of the house of Yahweh so that no one should enter who is in any way unclean. So the system is set up, verse 21 says, so all of the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet, undisturbed, for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword. We've got a king by the pillar. We've got a worshiping system. We've got people stationed around keeping unclean people out. They examine them. If you're unclean, you cannot come and worship the Lord. So the holy people are in, the unclean people are out. Now, the main point is simply this. If my people humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways and come to this place and pray... I will forgive and I will heal. This is what has happened. It's been six years without a king. In the Sabbath year, the king is reestablished. The house of the Lord is opened up. Yahweh is worshipped again. The right people come to the house of the Lord. The other people stay away from the house of the Lord. Everything is just as it should be. It's a great restoration. And God promises the same today for his people because people go astray, but people can come and repent and return and God is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here's the thing. People who are in covenant with Yahweh, they're going to come and renew covenant. That's what happened in Jehoiada's day that's what happens in our day. Turn if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to end just with a little proposal for you to think about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 isn't exactly about the topic we're talking about, except in one way, verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she decides and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, let her not send her husband away. For the, hus- for the believing husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Now, this is crucial. This is very crucial. We cannot take biblical terminology and make it into what we want it to be. The New Testament terminology flows from the Old Testament its meaning is well understood and we cannot change it. We have to accept it. If it upsets our doctrine and our systematic theology, then it needs upsetting. Each Sunday, when we come, for many Sundays a row, early on, we read Hebrews chapter 10. That is, we have boldness to enter the holy place. Okay, that's what we've been talking about. This system set up, the holy place is there, and only the right holy people can enter that holy house. If there's anyone with any uncleanness, they have to stay away from the the house of the Lord. They're not admitted. Now we have the terms clean, uh, unclean, and holy. Now, what I want you to think about is, every Sunday, when God says, hey, come on up to my house, Come with boldness, confidence, because of the blood of Christ. Enter, enter the holy place. Well, in the Old Testament, the only people who could enter the holy place was the high priest. And once a year for just just a few minutes, that's it. But now we're invited to come with boldness, confidence, and enter. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the new covenant. Okay, so here we are. You and I, right now, are in the holy place. Where are our children? Where? What if they're two years old? Where are they? What if they're six months old, sitting right here in this congregation, who've entered the holy place? Where are they? They went with us. Jesus says so. Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid. For such is the kingdom of heaven. When we gather and enter, it is crucial. It is vital. Jehoiada understood it. For the unclean to stay away. But for the holy To come in. We come in. And God gives us these little blessings. And he doesn't ask us to leave them behind. We bring them to Jesus. And where is Jesus right now? Well, in just a minute, he's going to serve us up the table. We come in where he is. And our kids come with us. Otherwise, they would be unclean, unacceptable. But now, Paul says, they're holy. Now think about it. Take it one step further. You're in Corinth, and you're a Gentile, and you come to Christ man or woman, and over here your spouse doesn't come to Christ. And the question is, well, what do we do now? i got a Christian and a non-Christian. Well, Jesus didn't talk about this, Paul says, but here, I'll tell you what to think about it. This believing spouse makes holy this unbelieving spouse. That's the word sanctify. Now, does it mean it makes him or her Christian as we would define it? the answer is no what does it mean you're a mixed marriage one believes one doesn't believe and the believer says I'm going to meet with the Lord and the unbeliever says can I come with you well we're so laissez faire about everything today in the church we don't care who in the world comes in but church is for the holy not the unholy it's for believers not unbelievers It's not a place for an evangelistic message. It's a place to be taught, to hear the word of the Lord. It's a place to sit down at the table, eat the Lord's food. The unbelieving spouse says, can I come with you? Oh, yeah. You're not unclean. You're holy. Come with me. Let's go to Jesus and talk. Stand with me. Lord, we want to thank you for our Savior. We want to thank you that because of Him, we do have confidence week by week to enter your holy place because the veil's been torn down and we can walk right in. And we don't come flippantly. We know that we come as covenant people who have sinned and you cleanse us. And we don't come for entertainment. We come because we want to hear from the God of the universe, the word of the Lord. And we don't come as individuals. We come as a corporate community for whom we will sacrifice anything, do anything, to prod one another together in good deeds. We thank you that you have loved us so much as that. And we've come with our little kids that we want to grow up in faith. And when we look back 20 years from now, we'll say, thank goodness they came with me and they trust Christ our Savior. Please do this for us because you love us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.